Isaiah 52 tonight, so I invite you to, to join with me in Isaiah 52. As we continue our journey through the book of Isaiah, we've entered into a section where Isaiah is describing now his servant. And so he's pointing directly to uh, the Mashiach Nagid, the Messiah, the King. So he's going to be describing today in chapter 52, which is leading up to chapter 53, which I'm bummed because... I don't get to do 53. Jason gets to do 53 because I am going to be gone. However, uh, 52 is leading up. And 52 is talking about the redemption that we need. And 53 is talking about the Redeemer that we need. And so we'll see as we uh, continue to work our way through. Now, as we look in the, at, at throughout Isaiah, in the Old Testament, the Old Testament is going to talk about uh, a Savior 119 times. So 119 times God's going to describe Himself as the Savior of the nation. And 28 of those times in Isaiah, and the majority of those is in the second half of the book. So we are really drawing into this idea. Here's what the Lord has, uh, has already told us as we've gone through Isaiah. In Isaiah 43, 3, He said, For I am the Lord, Yahweh, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior, I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you. Now, here's what's important to understand as the Lord's talking about saving Israel. You need to understand that, that basically the rest of the world's attitude is that Israel wasn't worth saving. So I don't know if any of you relate to that. I'm sure there were a number, number of people in my past who would have said the same thing of me. Uh, it's, it's not really... I'm not sure that's really worth the effort. And so what the Lord is saying when He says, I give Egypt for you. Because everybody wanted to be in Egypt. In those days, Egypt was the seed of wealth. So if you wanted to be, it'd be like um, the, United, the way the United States is viewed now and in terms of other nations wanting to come for prosperity. That's what Egypt was like. So when the Lord says, I give Egypt for your ransom, He's like, look, I, I'd rather have you. It's like saying... I. It's if you want to kind of kind of wrap your mind around it. I don't know if this will speak to you or not. If you've ever been there or not, but it's like God saying, "I'd rather have Tijuana than anything in the United States." That's that's the comparison when He says, "I I, I don't want Egypt. I don't want Cush and Seba. I want you. I want you." This is God's. He's saying, "I'm your Savior. I'm the one." Who will redeem you? And in verse 11 in Isaiah 43, he says, I, I am the Lord. Capital L-O-R-D, right? Tetragrammaton. That's, that's Yahweh, the name of God. And beside me there is no Savior. No other way through which men might be saved. I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you. You are my witnesses, declared the Lord, and I am God. God saying, I'm your Savior. I'm it. All of this is leading up, right? All of these things that the Lord's been telling us through Isaiah is leading up to, to where we are tonight. Truly, in verse uh, Isaiah 45, 15, Truly, you are a God who hides Himself, O God of Israel, the Savior. He is the one who saves. Verse 17 of the same chapter, But Israel is saved by the Lord, Yahweh, an everlasting salvation. How long is an everlasting salvation last? That's a long time, isn't it? Some of those are questions we have to ask ourselves, right? How, how long does it last? Ever, everlasting salvation. So he says, everlasting salvation. You shall not be put to shame or confounded to all eternity. In verse 21 of Isaiah 45, declare, present your case. Let them take counsel together. Who told this long ago? Who declared it of old? Was it not I, the Lord? Was it not I, Yahweh? Here God is declaring, who's the Savior? Yahweh is the Savior. Yahweh is the Savior. He is the Deliverer. There is no other God beside me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none besides me. Turn to me and be saved. And what's, where's the call go? To where? What's the next phrase? All the ends of what? That's bigger than Israel, isn't it? So, so he's calling, isn't he calling? Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. Turn to me, for I am God and there is no other. Isaiah 49, verse 26. 
I will make your oppressors eat their own flesh and be drunk in their own blood as with wine. And all flesh will know. How many? How much flesh? All flesh will know that I am Yahweh your Savior. I am the Lord your Savior, your Redeemer, the Mighty One, El Gabor, the Mighty One of Jacob. Isaiah 60, verse 16, You shall suck the milk of nations and nurse at the breasts of kings. You shall know I, Yahweh, am your Savior, your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Are we starting to get the point? Who's the Savior? Isaiah 63, verse 8, For He said, Surely they are My people, children who will not deal falsely. And He became their Savior. In all their affliction, He was afflicted. And the angel of His presence saved them. In His love, in His pity, He redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. And then Isaiah 64, 5, You meet Him who joyfully works righteousness, those who remember you in your ways. Behold, you were angry and we sinned. And in our sins we have been a long time. Shall we be saved? God's been saying over and over again, hasn't He? I'm the Savior. I'm the one who's going to save you. Now here's the thing we want to keep in our mind as we've gone through Isaiah. Isaiah started by posing a question. How will this Israel that's a mess, they keep messing up, Look at the history. We read the Old Testament, right? We've gone through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. We've watched the nation of Israel do good and then plummet. And then God delivers them and they do good and then plummet, right? They're just like us. So God says, how is that Israel going to become the Israel that he speaks of in this future with him? How's that happen? And then God, weaving throughout Isaiah, says, I'm the Savior. I'm the Savior. I'm the Redeemer. And Isaiah 53 is going to describe how that's going to be accomplished. But he's describing for us and laying out for us this need. He told us in Isaiah 6. Isaiah 6, Isaiah stands before God, right? In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and His train filled the temple. And Isaiah, who had spent five chapters saying, Woe to you, woe to you, woe to you, said what? Woe is me. So we got everybody, right? Woe to all you, and woe to me too. What am I going to do, God? I'm unclean. That's what Isaiah is saying to the Lord. I'm unclean, and all the people I know are unclean. And so God purged his sin. So what we see on an individual basis between Isaiah and God is going to be accomplished for the world. John 3.16 For God so loved who? That He gave what? That whosoever would not perish but? See, you guys heard this all before. This is all being laid out for us in the book of Isaiah so that we would understand the need and the one who's going to supply that need. So he begins in Isaiah 52, verse 1. In Isaiah 51, you remember the people were saying to God, God, wake up, wake up, where are you, right? Well, in Isaiah 52, 1, look what God says. Awake, awake! Hey, you guys, wake up! Put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful Garments. I think it's Matthew 21. Jesus tells a parable about a wedding feast. You guys remember? And when he's telling the parable about the wedding feast, it's such a great picture of the plan of, of redemption and the work that Christ is doing. And, and he says that when the wedding feast was come, all the people who were invited started giving excuses. You remember? I can't come. Too busy. I bought a new house. I got a bunch of cows. I got to go look at. Whatever. I can't come, can't come, can't come. So the king says, well... Get, give me a, bring me all my servants. He brings all his servants and he says, you guys go invite everybody you can find. Whosoever will to come to the feast. And outside the door, the feast, right? He'd have the wedding garments. And the deal was you got an invitation, you come, put on a wedding garment, come inside. Right? At the end of a parable, at the end of that particular parable, Jesus says, Find, or, or somebody, the, the master of the feast, find someone without a wedding garment. Friend, how'd you get here? 
He didn't have an answer. Uh, There's only one way in. What did Jesus say? I am the way, the, the, no man comes to the Father except by me. You have to put on Christ. You can't come in otherwise. Can't come in otherwise. Here in Isaiah 52, 1, he's saying to the people, wake up. Put on your strength. Clothe yourself in strength. Zion. Zion's a term that God would use of, of the <clears throat> Israel that exists when, when they're totally surrendered to Him. It'd be like uh, using a term of the church, like uh, the bride of Christ. You tracking with me? So when He talks about the bride of Christ, it's like, it's like God looking at the church in her perfection when she's with Jesus, okay? When God uses the term Zion, it's the same way in terms of Israel. He's seeing this Israel that's perfected. He's saying, put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city, for there shall no more come into you the uncircumcised or the unclean. So we have this first thing he's going to say. He's, he's talking about redemption here, and he wants them to know, I'm going to redeem, and I'm not using money when I redeem it. And then he says, first, put on your garments. Put on the wedding clothes. Put on Christ. Put on strength. Put on what God has provided. And then he talks about a cleansing. For there shall no more come into you the uncircumcised or the unclean. In Revelation 21, 27, speaking of the new Jerusalem, what's it say? Nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those whose names are written where? Lamb's Book of Life. So he's saying, hey, this redemption, you're going to be clothed in garments. There's a cleansing. and uh, uh, the, the sinful, the things, the people that Israel in those days were afraid of. Nowadays, we're afraid of a lot of things. You turn on the news, we're afraid of all kind of stuff. All kind of rational and irrational fears that we have. So when the Lord was telling them there will be no uncircumcised or unclean, He's telling Israel all that stuff you're afraid of. All those things you're afraid are going to get you, are going are are to hurt you or hurt your family. They're not going to be there. Revelation does the exact same thing when it says in, in uh, the new Jerusalem, the new heaven and new earth, there'll be no sea there, right? We've heard that phrase, there'll be no sea. And we go, what do you mean, no sea? There's not going to be an ocean anymore? No, the sea for the nation of Israel was the place that the, the monsters lived. Didn't you read Revelation? Where did the monster come out of? The, the beast rises up from the sea, comes up out of the sea. There'll be no sea, no place for the beast to rise up of. Those things that we fear, they're not going to be there. Why? Because we're going to be with God. We don't, have to, we don't have to worry about those things that distract us. He says next, there's going to be no more captivity. Now, the thing that, that Israel is facing, Isaiah is about 150 years before the captivity to Babylon. So the people Isaiah is talking about, it's not going to be them. It's going to be their children's children's children that will go. So here's what God does. God comes to the generation, three generations early, and He says, man, the people are heading to captivity. They're heading toward exile. So you, you have a couple of choices, right? The Scripture tells us a story of David. Me, Jonathan, and Jason were talking about this earlier this week. Scripture tells a story about David. David went to a city, particular city, who was being attacked by the Philistines. And after he delivered the city, he was thinking about staying there. So he asked the high priest to come by and he asked him, If I stay here, is Saul going to come against me? And so the high priest asked the Lord, and the Lord says, If you stay here, Saul will come. So David says, Okay, Saul's going to come if I stay here. Well, if, if I stay here and Saul comes... Will the people turn me over to him? And God says, yes. If you stay here, Saul will come and the people will turn you over to him. David has a choice, right? He can say, well, you know, I don't know how accurate God is. So I'm going to stay and find out. Or he could do what he did. A man after God's own heart. What did he do when God told him that? He said, okay, I'm out. Saul never came. He was never turned over. The word of the Lord came, they heard the warning, and were obedient. 
three generations before the children that would face exile are there, Isaiah's telling them, hey, you guys, teach these things to your children. Obey the Lord. Stay, keep your heart after Him. They had just been delivered from Assyria. Their hearts were okay. They understood that God was their deliverer, right? But there's a generation coming that's going to forget. Have you experienced that in your life? Have, have we as a nation forgot who delivered us? Have we lost our way? And trust me, we're the same period of time. A little better than 200 years for us. For Israel, around 150. Uh, I'm sure 50 years ago, we were pretty screwed up too. I was still, I still remember some of 50 years ago, so not as much as some of you. Robin remembers a lot more past 50 years than I do. <clears throat> so, so we can lose our way. God's telling them ahead of time, hey, you can, now you've heard the word, right? You heard the word. Exile's coming. We got to really redouble our efforts to keep our, our minds and our hearts focused on the Lord. Because otherwise, exile is coming. How long's how long has the Lord been telling us there's a judgment day on the horizon? Long time. There's a judgment day on God. God never lies. There's a judgment day coming. Now we can just make sure we got everything we need, but that's not what the commission said, right? What did Jesus tell us to do? Go. Tell the people. Teach the people. Right? Go out. Okay, so he says, Shake yourself from the dust and arise. Be seated, O Jerusalem. Loose the bonds from your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. So this is the thing God is saying about that future people. So 150 years from now, they go into exile. 70 years after that, God's going to set them free. And here, He's looking at the day when He's not only going to set them free from captivity, but He's going to set them free from sin. So he says, take the noose off your neck. You don't have to be captive anymore. Arise, shake the dust off. Shake off the dust. God is bringing his provision. For thus says the Lord, you were sold for nothing. And you will be redeemed without money. We were sold for nothing. Israel in their captivity, you and I in ours. We, long time ago... Man has fallen and remained fallen in that fallen state apart from Christ ever since. We were, we were sold without money. God says, I'm, I'm going to redeem you without money. What does He redeem us by? The blood of Jesus Christ, right? Redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. For thus says the Lord God, My people went down at the first into Egypt to sojourn there. And the Assyrian oppressed them for nothing. Now therefore, what have I here, declares the Lord, seeing that my people are taken away for nothing, their rulers wail, declares the Lord. Continually, all the day, my name is despised. <clears throat> therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, in that day, they shall know that it is I who speak to them. Here I am. So God's telling them, I'm going to save, I'm your Savior, I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to buy you out of slavery. Not only is he going to end the exile, just like he said. So 150 years from now, they go into exile. 70 years after that, the man God named 200 years earlier is going to rise on the scene. His name's Cyrus. And he's going to say, hey, you guys can go home. And God said, when you hear him say that, you should remember, I told you. Long before it happened, I told you. It's me. I'm the God. I'm the one who saves you. I'll set you free from your captivity. Psalm 113 says, He raises the poor from the dust, and He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of His people. It's God who does that. Shake the dust off. I'm going to take you out of bondage. 1 Peter 1.18, He says, Knowing that you were redeemed, from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. Not with perishable things like silver or gold. I won't redeem you with money. That's what he said, right? But with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Redeemed by the blood of the lamb. 
redeemed as God delivers his people. Romans chapter 2 verse 17 tells us that the the reproach that has been cast uh, will be removed. It says, if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, don't you teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob the temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. God says, all day long they've despised my name. He says that he has extended his hands... To a disobedient and contrary people. When we talk about Israel, it's so easy to see all their faults and forget that Israel is a mirror for us. We're just like them. A couple days after God does some amazing thing for us, we're ready to bicker and complain just like they were. Maybe we'll be delivered from some incredible thing and then... You know, uh, a week, a month, a year later, you know, we stub our toe and we're mad at God. Just like them. The same heart that was in them, an uncircumcised heart, is in us. It's Jesus Christ who set us free from that. Right? It's His blood that redeemed me. That washed that, that brokenness out of me. And then begins the work sanctifying, making that which is so ugly become beautiful. So what's the result? That the people will know my name. That the people will know my name. He says, here's the coming of good tidings. How beautiful upon the mountains, Isaiah 52, 7, are the feet of him who brings good news. Him who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who brings who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. In John fourteen twenty seven, Jesus said, my peace I leave with you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house were many mansions. Hey, the Scripture lays out for us the beautiful feet of Him who brings good news. Who are of good news of what? Publishing peace. We have peace. Romans five one. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. How? Through the Lord Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ, we have peace with God. How beautiful the feet of those who share the good news, who publishes peace, the good news of happiness, who publishes salvation. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12 says, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So once upon a time, we had nothing. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once afar off have been brought near. How? By the blood of Jesus Christ. For He is our peace. He gives us peace with God. Who has made us one. Who has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility. That's broken by abolishing what? The law of commandments expressed in ordinances. What's the importance of the law? The importance of the law is actually very simple. And stubborn people still struggle with it today. What is the importance of the law? Let me tell you. You can't keep it. Jesus did. He is our peace because when we are clothed in Christ... We now are a keeper of the law. 
His blood covers me. His keeping covers my failures. The law is a tutor to lead us to Christ. That's what the Word declares. And ever since, men have wanted to go back to the law. I want to go back to the law. I want to go back to the law. Why? Because I want to justify myself. And the point of the gospel is I can't justify myself. I'm broken. Remember the Israel that can't be the Israel she's supposed to be? How does she get there? Because God forgives her sin. The Jackie that needs to be the Jackie that that is the one that walks with Christ, how do I get there? Jesus Christ forgives my sin. He makes atonement for me. He keeps the law. Now, I want to be like Him, right? I want to follow Him. I want to walk in His footsteps. So I'm going to continue to be and try to live a life obedient to the Lord God Almighty. Yeah? But I will never justify myself by keeping the ordinance of the law. Ever. Jesus in Matthew said, Unless your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, you will not see the kingdom of God. And he called the Pharisees what? Whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. So you might think, oh, I could do better than them. No, you probably couldn't. They tithed of their mint. Of their... Of their Garden spices. I mow mine. <laughs> Don't tell Kathy. She's listening anyway. She planted a bunch of, what was it, thyme, mint, something. But she planted it near the grass. And all that stuff just looks like a giant weed when it's growing. So I mowed it. And it was pretty big. It's not big anymore. It smelled good. When I did it, I thought, oh, that kind of smells like something we cook with. <laughs> they tithed out of theirs. They were so into the law, they tithed of their spices. The Bible's very clear. You break one part of the law, how much are you guilty of? All of it. You don't get to pick and choose. Jesus Christ kept it all. It's His righteousness, His righteousness that is bestowed <coughs> upon me. He who knew no sin became my sin sacrifice that I might become the righteousness of God. I gain His righteousness because of His atoning sacrifice for me. For the world, according to 1 John 2.2. 2. He became the propitiation for the whole world, is what it says. So the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is sufficient for all and efficient for those who believe, those who call upon His name. In Colossians 1.20 it says, And through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. How beautiful are the feet of those who publish the good news of peace, of salvation, that our God reigns. And what great, great news. Isaiah 52 verse 8 continues. The cries that will be sung by the people. The voice of your watchmen. The watchmen. The watchers on the wall. Those who are protecting the city. They lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy. Eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. What a glorious day. The Bible says when Jesus Christ returns. How many eyes will see him? Yeah, that's a lot of eyes, right? How many knees will bow? How many tongues will confess? Yeah, look, we got time to do that now. He'll make you. It'll happen. God spoke it, it'll be. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. <coughs> For the Lord has comforted His people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. Remember the Bible is a story of two cities. Babylon, Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a city of peace, a city of the people of God. When we, when we get to the book of Revelation and we have a new heaven and a new earth, there's also a new what? Jerusalem, right? 
You know, the new Jerusalem is not on earth or heaven. It's between them. The new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, not setting its foot on the earth, a bride prepared for, for the groom. It's beautiful, 12,000 furlongs by 12,000 furlongs. Roughly the moon. New Jerusalem is roughly the size of the moon between heaven and earth. The abode of the believer. The Lord God has redeemed Jerusalem. Now everybody in Jerusalem came from Babylon. Because Babylon is a city of the rebellion against God. And that's where we all start. When God called Abram, where was he? Ur of the Chaldees. You know what they call Babylonians? Chaldeans. Ur of the Chaldees. Where did Abram come from? Right near Babylon. God called them out of Babylon. We get called out of the city of rebellion against God. And we enter into the city of peace. How beautiful are their feet. The redemption that God has worked for Jerusalem. The future redemption of Jerusalem. God's word is clear. God will redeem. God is going to establish. And we read it in Revelation, don't we? We read about the new Jerusalem. We read about the abode for God's people. We read about a new earth and a new heaven. We read about Jesus Christ, the Mashiach Nagid, the Messiah, the King, making the declaration, See, I make all things new. For we are a new creation created in Christ Jesus. Yes? Man, this is the work that God does, this incredible redemption. And He wants us to know everyone's going to see it. Look at verse 10. For the Lord has bared His holy arm before the eyes of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth, what's it say? Shall see the salvation of our God. Who's going to see it? Everybody's going to see it. Everybody's going to see it. Nowhere does the Bible say everyone will be saved. But everyone will see it. It's not a secret. It's not something hidden. It's something that God revealed to the people 150 years before they went into exile to teach their children a day of redemption was coming. They experienced the day of redemption roughly 220 years after this is delivered to the people when they got to go back to Jerusalem. But they could understand this does not line up with what that was talking about. It's, this is not as spectacular. What's going on? There's a future deliverance. What's the future deliverance? It's not physical. It's not physical. The story of God delivering the children of Israel from Egypt, across the Red Sea, to Mount Sinai, it, that, that deliverance, that, that, was, that was all about painting a picture. I can deliver you physically. You need delivered spiritually. Why? Because they got to Sinai and they stood in front of a mountain. And on top of the mountain was Yahweh. The Bible says the mountain was covered with a cloud and lightning and thunder and it was a little scary. And a voice from the top of Mount Sinai spoke to the people of Israel the Ten Commandments. And the people said, Stop! Can you imagine God revealing Himself to you so intently and saying, Wait, I don't want this. Moses, you go talk to God, and we'll wait for you to get back. So Moses went to the top of the mountain, gone 40 days. Comes back with the Ten Commandments, what are the people doing? Dance around a golden calf, right? So before the law is delivered, they are already... What, what, what is that illustrating? We're broken. We can't keep what God's requirement are. It takes us 40 days from seeing Almighty God and hearing His voice to building a golden calf and saying, this is our God. Those are same people. It's not like there's a group of people that weren't at the mountain. Same people. They are a mirror of us. That's how quick we forget. We need a Redeemer. We need a Redeemer. We need the blood of Jesus Christ to set us free. And so he says the whole world will see it. 
the whole world. I, I've, I'm, I'm a little microcosm of that. Because I got, I got about 10 guys on Facebook that are still having strokes every time they look at my Facebook page and they see it says pastor on it. Oh, I still have people in town do that when they find out I'm a pastor. <laughs> I kind of like that if I'm honest. Sorry. When I, I went to the city council meeting for uh, Twin Falls when they were trying to get Twin Falls to stop the murder of the preborn. And I'm looking around, and I'm, I'm, I'm at the prayer meeting before. We had a prayer meeting. All the pastors showed up for a prayer meeting. And I'm sitting in a circle praying with all these guys, and I'm singing the song, One of These Things is Not Like the Other. Yeah. It's like, oh, they're all in suits. I was wearing my biker vest and looked pretty much like this. <clears throat> I love the fact that 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 declares the power of God to transform a life. Because if you take the time to find out, maybe the outside doesn't equal what you think. Have you ever found that to be true for you? That God is able to redeem, to change. And you, and you go, well, that's weird. I wasn't expecting that. I was sitting in a clubhouse, Brother Speed, one time. We're, we're going, you remember? We'd go over there and we're talking to him about when we started the, the motorcycle ministry. And oh, it's one of the weird things you do if you want to keep peace with everybody. So anyway, we go over there and they're all talking and everything's cool. And they're all talking to me. And one of the guys goes, what do you do? I said, I'm a preacher. Man, he didn't know how to get away from me fast enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but I, so I got guys who knew me back in the day, and they found me on Facebook. And the other day, I caught them all talking about me. But I, you know, Facebook's weird. But they're talking about me. I'm reading uh, what they're saying, but they're all talking about. You remember this, some of the stuff Jackie used to do? And they're all telling old stories. So I know they know me. I don't, I can't recognize their pictures because this Marine Corps was. Like 40 years ago, it was a long time. And it was not quite that long, but pretty close. And so I look at that, I'm looking at him and I go, you know, I think I can see the kid from then. But I know they're telling, they know me because they're telling the right stories. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, I don't tell those stories on Facebook. So, so they, they know something. But it's a trip to watch them go. And I had quite a few of them say, man, this is pretty awesome. They want to know. You know, how did, I, how, how did I become a believer? Why, why am I a preacher now? So, opens doors of opportunity, right? Opens doors of opportunity. says every nation's going to see. When God saves, every nation's going to see. It's not something you do in some cabin in the middle of nowhere that nobody can see. And when He redeems the world, everyone's going to know, right? Every knee, every eye, everything... Isaiah 45.22 says, Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. This is God calling on all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. Isaiah 55 says, The word of the Lord goes forth and does not return void. It accomplishes what it's sent to do. The word of God, look, I have peace. Um, there were times a couple of years ago we'd go uh, out to Planned Parenthood. Bill spent a lot of time out at Planned Parenthood. I just very short, few times out there with Bill. But but um, when you share the Word of God with somebody, whether whether they listen or they don't, whether they reject what you're telling them and continue to do what they're going to do, or they turn around, the Word of God has accomplished what it's sent to do. Either it will bring judgment in the day of judgment, or it will be a seed of salvation planted in a soil of a heart. One day gets enough water, but it's going to do one or the other. Right? We'll be accountable. Every man, every woman, every person will be accountable before a holy God. The Word of God goes forth and calls us to that accountability. It calls us to repentance, right? Or we can be the David who says, No, God's warned me and I'm going to stay here and see what happens. Well, you probably wouldn't do that. 
probably wouldn't do that. Scripture goes on to tell us, where did I put them things? Isaiah 52, 11, depart, depart, go out from there, touch no unclean thing, go out from the midst of her, purify yourselves, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. Hey, the prerequisite of the redeemed is to be cleansed, be clean. Now, there's some pretty intense theological ideas surrounding the Scripture, so I'm going to try to unpack them real simple. So, God is absolute holiness. So He is totally separate from us. Right? Because we're probably the opposite side of that. We're not absolute holiness, right? We're, we're probably absolute knuckleheadedness, but not absolute holiness. But, but when we enter into that relationship with Christ, what, what is happening? The, the holiness of God is covering us, right? His, his blood covers us. His sacrifice covers us. Whosoever calls on His name. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord. Whoever, whoever looks to Him. Whoever comes to Him for salvation. That's a covering. And then once that covering is on us, what's He say? Yeah. If the blood of Jesus Christ covers you, you're not the same as you were before. Get out. Stand apart. Come out from among her. In the motorcycle world, we say we wear colors. We talked about the same thing when I was in the Marine Corps, right? You guys have probably seen T-shirts and stuff that say these colors never run. Well, just from experience, that's not true. <laughs> we ran a fair amount. Everybody runs. But the concept is to let your color be clear. Who are you? Now, I get it. I'm, I'm not trying to, to... Everybody doesn't understand all the different worlds. But that's why there's uniforms. When you look at a cop who's wearing a uniform, you know who he is. I see Rusty right now. I go, wow, oh, he's just a handsome guy that kind of looks like Buzz Lightyear a little bit. <laughs> but when he's wearing his uniform, do I know who he is? Oh, and that's, that's, that's the guy who gives me tickets all the time. <laughs> and doesn't even feel bad about it. Uh, that's true. He gives, he's, since he's been saved, he gives grace more often. So, but, but the, you get the point, right? So the idea when he's saying here, hey, come out from among her. If you're covered in the blood of Christ, you've been redeemed by God. Do you look like it? Not do you have a pretty haircut and wear a suit. That's, that's, that's somebody else's idea. The point is, when someone looks at you, do they know you're a believer? Because if they don't, it, it's not meant to condemn you. The point is, hey, change that. That's what God's saying here. Hey, come out and be clean. Be different. Every other human being was a knucklehead just like you. So be different. So that when they see you, when they look at you, when they talk to you, they realize you're not like me. There's a distinction with a difference. Come out from among her, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. For you shall not go out in haste, and you shall not go out in flight. For the Lord God goes before you. Listen to this. And the God of Israel will be your rear guard. You hear it? He says, man, let your colors be clear because God is in front of you and God is behind you. And if God is for us, what are we afraid of? I went to the craziest zoo. Bill was there with me. Um... I don't think anybody else was here. We went to Scottsdale, Arizona for an end abortion now conference a couple years ago. 
We went to the Planned Parenthood in Scottsdale, Arizona, and we went out there to uh, to plead with um, the mothers who were going in uh, not to uh, not to abort their children. And uh, Planned Parenthood has reached out for help so that they can have what we on the outside call death scorts. And this is the unfortunate thing about TV and how all this stuff is portrayed. You, you see movies and you have people standing on sidewalks yelling at the women going in. And uh, there's a reason it looks like that. Because the person who's pleading for the life of the preborn is not allowed in the parking lot or they get arrested. You're not allowed to stand in front of the door or you'll get arrested. You can only be in public property, which is the sidewalk, sometimes quite a ways away from where they're parking their car. Now, if if something horrific was happening to one of your children on the other side of a parking lot, I bet you'd holler. And it's not a hollering in hatred. Usually what's being spoke is the word of God. Please don't do this. We want to help. Let us help you. You don't have to do this. But Planned Parenthood wants help. So they reach out to Antifa. So Antifa comes out, puts on their black pajamas, and gets these big radios, and they play uh, Mein Kampf in German as loud as they can turn it up so that the ladies going in can't hear. But that still wasn't enough, so they reached out to the temple, the Satanic Temple of Phoenix. And the woman, I don't know what they call them, priest priestess, whatever, of the satanic temple, she comes out with a bunch of her people, they take umbrellas, they walk over to the car, they point the umbrellas at the people who are on the sidewalk trying to get their attention, and they turn on these radios so you can't hear what they're saying, and people from the satanic temple escort women into Planned Parenthood to have their children aborted. Now, I just want you to know, that's real. That is actually exactly what I was there. That's exactly what's happening. But usually you see it in a movie or on the news and it's a bunch of wackos yelling from a sidewalk, right? You don't know the story of all the other things that are running around, happening at the same time. But you want to know the incredible thing? At that Planned Parenthood there in Scottsdale, I don't, I don't know the, the last number, but, I, but, it's, but it's in the hundreds of babies who have been saved. In all that chaos, God's still able to redeem. God's still able. Now, I'm not telling you that that's what we ought to be doing. If the Lord's telling you that, that's between you and Him. But I am telling you, we don't have to be afraid because God goes before us and God's behind us. And we ought to look different. We ought to not be afraid to say, hey, that's wrong. That's not okay. I had people tell me, you know, when you do that, you're just, you're just making people unwilling to receive the Lord. So if I stayed home and did nothing, what would be different? Nothing. Right? But if I go and speak the word of God into somebody's life, even if they reject it, does the word of God return void? It accomplishes what it's sent to do, doesn't it? The word of God goes out and either plants a seed for a future redemption and a harvest and praise God. Can God forgive even for what's going on in those places? Yeah, he'd forgive me for at least as bad. Right? That's what God does. He redeems. There's not a place where you cross the line and God says, you know, you're, you're too dirty, too ugly, too nasty. I can't save you. The blood of Jesus Christ purges us all. Every sin. Every sin. He is able. So whatever, however God would lead us. I, we have another couple here who, who has volunteered and spent a, a, you know, quite a bit of time at the refugee center reaching out the love of Jesus Christ to refugees. We can pick it and complain that they're here. Or we can go tell them about Jesus. Might as well do that, no? I don't know. You, you scream it at a neighbor long enough, he is going to throw something at you, isn't he? 
that's what I do. <laughs> you come yell at me, I'm something, eventually I'm going to want to become what you keep yelling at me about. Or you could share the love of Christ. Right? Do we have to be afraid? No, why? Because God is before us and... Yeah, don't be afraid. He's our, he's in front and He's behind us. So don't be afraid to let your color be clear. Who you are. Don't be afraid to say, hey, this is who I am. I'm a believer. I love Jesus Christ. Because the Lord says, man, we want to profess Him before men, don't we? I just don't want to look into my Savior's eyes and, and have to hear me deny Him. You know what I mean? I want to profess Him. If you profess me before men, I will profess you before my father we won't talk about the other part just don't do that profess him let your colors be clear stand for christ amen why don't you guys stand with me let's pray father god we just ask your blessing tonight we we ask that you would bless the the study of your word god to know you and understand you lord i pray that god we would be conforming our lives to what your word declares lord that your word is absolutely authoritative in our life. And we are, as uh, followers of Jesus Christ, intended to obey your word, to follow your word, to be who you're calling us to be. And we don't have to be afraid because you're in front of us, you're behind us, you're all around us. Lord God, we thank you so much for who you are and what you've done and the salvation you've provided. And if there's anybody here tonight that does not know you, has not confessed you as Lord and Savior God, I pray that uh, they wouldn't leave this place without uh, accomplishing that tonight. Lord God, we ask that you be glorified and that you be magnified in our lives as we live out our purpose before you. And God, I pray one day to sit or stand in your presence and hear the words, Well done, good and faithful servant. So God, we ask your blessing. As we go from this place, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.